everyone. This is JJ Osland, venture investor and co-host of How I Sold This, a podcast where we unpack stories of venture acquisitions to learn from founders and M&A teams that have built, sold, or purchased startups. In this episode, we'll hear from Arangzeb Khan, who founded a smart camera startup called Altia Systems, also known as Panacast. In 2019, he sold the company to Jabra and GN Group for $125 million. Arangzeb has a long history of building, scaling, and exiting companies, so I couldn't be more excited to learn from his experiences as a founder. Now, let's get started with today's episode. Arangzeb, I, I remember the first time we connected, it was a, a couple years ago at CES, and I remember the first demo that I had of the Panacast camera, and just you know how cool of a product it was, and you know, I wish that we'd had a chance to invest in the company. And, you know, given that you sold that company, you know, recently to, to Jabra, you know, I definitely wish that we had been an investor. But um, <laughs> before we dive into that, I'd love if you could give an overview of Altia Systems, the Panacast product and the technology that, that you had developed. Oh, sure. Um, thank you, JJ. Great to be here. And I remember our meeting and, um, you know, appreciate the opportunity. Panacast is a unique product in the industry, um, and to kind of give you some background, the the way we looked at video, you know, back in 2012 when we started the company, um, video hadn't changed a lot in literally like 100 years, and particularly what we mean is that the field of view you get from a video camera or a still camera has been pretty static. It's around 70 degrees. With wide-angle lenses, you can go wider. With fisheye lenses, you can go much wider, but you end up getting a lot of distortion. And we wanted to give a visual experience that was immersive, uh, like how our eyes see the world. So as humans, we see a lot. We see about 180 degrees with our eyes. And uh, everybody through that time had basically been using a single camera and putting fisheye lenses or other things to get a wider perspective, giving you that fishbowl effect. Um, we set about it completely differently. We built a synchronized multi-camera array and invented a lot of the core imaging science, computer vision, and AI to synchronize, stitch, and optimize the video, in, in this case, from the third-gen product from three cameras in real time to give you a 180-degree experience without the kind of uh, visual distortion you see from single cameras. And, um, you know, this fits a lot of markets. The first market we targeted was unified communications. We were starting to see how uh, particularly development work was changing and through agile software development methodologies, the notion of scrum sessions and huddle sessions. And there was really nothing out there that would let a whole team be included in the conversation when you were talking to your remote coworkers. Um, and so in a sense, we were trying to solve that need for ourselves and we thought that would be a pervasive need and it's turning out to be the case. This is now the fastest growing part of the overall collaboration market. Uh, video is just uh, exploding. You know, you, you've seen, um, probably have seen Zoom's IPO. They had a great IPO. Many companies are using Panacast and Zoom together. Uh, and we also work, you know, as a plug and play open device with all other kinds of services like Microsoft and WebEx and BlueJeans and so on. So that first market is really what took off for us. Uh, but we've also had a lot of wins in education, in uh, AR and VR, um, in digital uh, responsive advertising, uh, and some very early work with Edge AI for um, you know more industrial applications. And, and maybe we'll talk on, pick up on that a, a little bit later. Great overview of the product. Uh, I'd love to shift the focus to the business and your experience as a founder. And you know, before Altia Systems, you had already started several companies. 
could you tell us really quickly about those startups, how they turned out, and then you know how did those experiences prepare you for starting Altia Systems? Yeah, sure. You know, back um, my, my first startup, similar similar sounding name, Altius, A L T I U S Solutions, um, was a, a high end chip design company. We designed chips for the Sony PlayStation Two, and um, that company merged in with Simplex, and uh, we together filed for IPO. We were the first IPO in two thousand. Sorry, second IPO in 2001, and um, that was a $305 million uh, IPO. Um, then I left. I helped uh, launch Everspin. The IPO after I left they had a great IPO, $105 million IPO in 2016. But uh, back in 2010, I had, because I was commuting back and forth, and I knew the company would do well, but I uh, ended up wanting to kind of stay in the valley and, and came back and uh, started uh, Altia. We kind of spent the first year on our own time and money, Raised the first uh, Series A money in 2012, and uh, you know, so it's been a journey through 2012 through 2018 when we had the interest and uh, came to uh, convergence with the GN folks, and then consummated the deal in early 2019. Excellent. Yeah. So you sold the company, you know, start of 2019 for about 125 million. Looking at the financings, looks like you skipped the seed round, raised a three million Series A, had a Kickstarter raised uh, about 11 million for series B, another 10 for series C. At that point, it was a $78 million valuation. And then by the time you sold the company, you know all the investors were able to see a nice return, especially those ones that, that came in early. At those, especially at those early conversations, how did you communicate the potential for this company to eventually either you know, sell or exit by an IPO? And did those change over time? Uh, well, so first, uh, the, the way we communicated it was, you know, around the notion that um, uh, th th this whole ability to create an immersive experience would be valuable in multiple markets. Uh, we focused on unified communications as kind of the beachhead. You know, at that time, that was not um, a very exciting market. I mean, video collaboration was very high-end, very boutique, very expensive, just used in a few places, um, kind of hard to use, about a $3 billion overall market space. Uh, and our whole idea was, you know, you're not going to bet on the 5% where it's used today, but on the 95%, which is the unserved market. And that unserved market needs kind of a different, actually even more technology than what is needed in these very high-end rooms, um, but, um, you know, but at a completely different price point, right? And so, so what we presented to the board was the idea that we were going into a market that was going to go through a greenfield expansion, through a big S-curve and that we had a unique value proposition for that because the problem we were solving is actually still we're the kind of the only ones who've done it. it, it it's a hard problem to solve. Now beyond that we did say of course that there are these other markets kind of hard to know how quickly they'll emerge and grow but AR and VR was on the horizon already and we had some early indications of IoT and how AI could potentially transform that whole space. So it's sort of like we're placing a bet and we think that there are expansion opportunities because, as you well know, you know, venture scale investors want to invest in a venture scale opportunity. Right. But I guess from the sounds of it, you know, it wasn't like there was this very clear pathway for you to eventually exit. It was still largely unknown back in 2012. Yes, it was. But you could, you know, you you could see that uh, and um, that it was possible, right? And that we 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 had. Um, kind of a, a clear separation from the incumbency. You know, people say you want to have a 10 times advantage, and, and, and in, in, in fact, we ended up with a 100 times advantage over the incumbency. Now, one other thing that helped 
me, I think, in, in a way, is because I, you know, had a bit of a track record, having done it a couple of times, and actually helped another friend, so had had three companies through that time that had done well. And so there was some knowledge, and the folks that I raised the initial money from were, again, very successful uh, fellow entrepreneurs who'd, who'd done very well and who'd kind of been on this journey. So as you said, we skipped seed. We, d we did a straight $3.5 million Series A, uh, but that was enough for us to go then create the first commercial product. And how did the goals that you had personally, as well as the goals that your board and the investors in your company had affect how you built the company? Um, you know, I, I kind of always like to build companies frugally in the notion that if you can do it frugally, um, then the, the team ends up with, with, with good equity sake. And, and I was fortunate, I've been fortunate to build strong teams. And, the, and kind of the handshake is we're on, we're in this together, we're going to go get to a, an outcome. And if we succeed, then everybody has a, a pretty big bump in their sort of the professional and financial standing. Uh, and that's what, and that is indeed what, what has happened. You know, it's about 25 million in, a little bit more maybe, but around 25 million in into the company. And, you know, to imagine building a full hardware system and we have 30 patents filed, 50, now probably more than 15 issued, uh, a lot of, just a lot of core innovation and development, uh, that's what we feel pretty good about that number. The, the other part of it is we deliberately tried to keep the team small. So we work with a number of partners and third-party companies and, and consultants and so on where we needed help in a particular area, uh, but we kept all the core IP and the core know-how in the team, and we kept the team pretty small. And that also actually helps uh, both in terms of speed, because you can get things done faster. Paradoxically, small teams kind of can run faster if they're the right composition and they have the right skill set. And of course, it helps with the cash burn. Right, definitely. And, and I guess at that point of acquisition, you only had about 25 employees, right? Yep, yep, yeah, exactly. Uh, very de deliberately so. <laughs> and similarly with previous companies, I've kept them very small, literally as small as I can keep them. So, so I guess at the time that GN Group bought Altia Systems, are you able to speak to, I guess, any of the other measures of, of growth in terms of the sales you were doing or number of units at that time? You know, we haven't publicly said the revenue figures and so on, but let me calibrate you. We had um, you know, about 1,600 companies around the world using the product, uh, and actually, and that includes about 200 plus universities. And some of our customers are public. We work very closely with Zoom and Uber. And back, um, I think October 2018, Uber folks uh, let us talk about how they had deployed 850 rooms around the world, more than 100 cities around the world using Panacast and Zoom. And you know, it's just it's just been growing and. Um, Sorry, maybe the last piece then is, you know, we, we had a 4x growth over a little more than a two-year horizon leading up to this uh, conversation around the M&A. Great. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about GN Group, uh, Jabra. I know that Jabra develops headsets that are used for conferencing. They also manufacture those USB microphones that can sit in the huddle room. Can you share a little bit more background about that company and then why they initially were interested in Panacast? Yes, sure. You know, back um, in um, early 2018, actually late 2017, early 2018, we'd had a number of companies that were audio companies approach us to say that they could see how there was a new class of products emerging where people were combining, you know, video cameras with audio um, input and output devices to create like speaker bars, you know. Um, you know, you may be familiar, like if you have, a, you know, under your TV at the home, you might have a, a sound bar. So imagine that with a camera built in. And this is becoming pretty popular as a product to use in huddle rooms. And so, you know, a number of folks approached us. And we were in conversations with folks to see how we could collaborate uh, to build, you know, jointly develop a product of this kind and sell and market that. 
Now, uh, the GN folks then, it actually very quickly evolved from that conversation to saying, you know, can we come together? They put a very strong preemptive offer. Uh, and of course, you know, at that point, you, you know, we brought it to the board and, and things took, took, took a certain direction and a very good direction. And so I think the strategic opportunity, there was enough evidence to kind of evidence the reach of that strategic opportunity. We had a, a, a good uh, result with customers and uh, the feedback from customers, uh, you know, was very positive. Uh, a lot of, you know, and, and so I think those two things coming together and then the market opportunity for this combined product is really what led, uh, uh, as I understand, the GN folks to, to step up and, and, and they moved very, very quickly and very decisively in, in a preemptive way. So they played their uh, offer very well. And I think our board also then, as we got to know the folks and um, felt like, yeah, this, this actually, you know, makes all kinds of sense. So going into that, the, I guess that early M&A discussion, it sounds like they made that first offer. Had you been talking with them for a while or what was the relationship like before that happened? Yeah, you know, we had a conversation with them and a couple of the folks around that whole notion of building an audio video product, a combined audio video product. And I think, you know, through that process, we learned a bit about each other and our depth and our expertise. Um, and so I think that sort of elevated the conversation very quickly. Uh, you know, it was like these two teams running down parallel tracks. They were doing a lot of innovation in audio and AI in audio. Had a really good brand, you know, had a strong consumer brand uh, and, a, and a really great brand in unified communications. And so it, it, it made just all kinds of sense that if you combine the engineering expertise of the team and then the reach they had in both manufacturing and on the sales uh, side globally, that it could just amplify and accelerate uh, our, our journey. How much talk was there on the board level about whether you go take this offer or you continue to grow the company? And walk us through your thought process and how you came to that decision that this was the right timing to sell the company. You know, when I when we looked at ourselves, we you know, and, and as a as a startup and as a founding team, you have to be pretty pretty a clear-eyed about strengths and weaknesses, right? You know, kind of have give yourself the right grades in the right areas. Uh, we felt we were, you know, pretty good uh, as innovators and technologists and product makers, uh, but you know, certainly had didn't have the level of funding or had applied the level of focus in terms of sales and marketing. Sometimes companies come together to save 10% GNA cost, right? This was not one of those kinds of conversations. It really was a full complementarity of technical depth business scale, manufacturing scale and capacity, and kind of the innovation portfolio that we had built and that we were evolving forward. So I think from, from the board's eyes, then it came down to, you know, will the team um, be do well? Will they flourish? Will they be happy with this outcome? And, um, you know, is it a good return for our investments? And it and it was very good on, on, on those dimensions. And so it then became a very credible choice. And then we did, you know, a certain amount of modeling as to the amount of money it'll take and the amount of time it would take to get towards an IPO um, and, you know, the residual risk to, to get there because the market was also evolving and we see it evolving where what we have is a core ingredient and a crucial ingredient, but of course we needed to build more technology into our products around it. Uh, and as you well know, you do the scenario analysis, you kind of, it's a fuzzy decision. It's not a cut and dried black and white decision, but you're taking these imponderables into consideration. And then of course the financial modeling and the math into consideration. I will say before we opened that door, I had a chance to go meet with the GN folks in Copenhagen. And uh, as you know, building a small team, there's a, there's a strong kind of a cultural DNA and imprint in the team. 
and uh, you know there's a there's a, a level of commitment to each other that we're going to try and, and do the right thing for our investors and also for ourselves. And so the, the so the, so the first thing we cared a lot about was the, the the GN culture, and it actually felt very good. You know how you they say when you're going to buy a home, um, you'll know it when you see it. So it was one of those kinds of experiences. So once you decided to go down this path, you know, how long did that process take for the due diligence negotiations? Um, did you go to other companies to try to solicit other offers? Could you just walk through a little bit, I guess, how that looked? Yeah, so, so, so when then the board ended up saying, you know what, let's open the door and, and engage seriously, then also they, I mean, so we ended up getting a banker. Uh, we got Mike Shepard and team at GrowthPoint. Uh, I'd known Mike earlier and they just were great. Uh, and I'd just say, if you can find a good banker, if it fits within your financials and, um, you know, because you need a sounding board, you need somebody who's been around this part of the ecosystem before and uh, who can help you um, kind of guide and steer through the negotiations. Uh, we ha we uh, went through an incredibly intense uh, diligence. So we, we had, I mean, imagine a 20 plus person company. We had about 80 people over, uh, gosh, you know, two months, very, very, I mean, like full time and then another month maybe part-time, but it's almost a three-month diligence process that looked at every aspect of the company, you know, and um, in, in, in great detail. So just even preparing for that while trying to run a business is quite daunting. And, uh, you know, and the, the good thing on that is that the, when we did all this prep and we shared the prep and uh, then we found that the folks from the GN's team had actually read it, looked at it, absorbed it, and, you know, were asking questions that extended the conversation and we weren't ending up repeating ourselves, which sometimes happens and which is actually pretty hard uh, to take. So, so it felt like, okay, we were, you know, we were covering new ground. We'd, we did cover a lot of ground. There were third-party experts brought in to assess different aspects from the business side, on the technology side, and so on. Um, and everything, you know, we had put together past muster pretty well. Um, so that also actually helped then further strengthen the confidence um, between the teams. Did this stretch you in any way as a founder? Was this new territory for you? And if you could share some of the challenges personally. Well, it, you know, certainly stretched me in the sense that, I mean, just, just you can imagine, you know, a CEO's day job is pretty intense. You know, you're a doer, you're busy doing lots of things. You're covering all the bases that aren't covered by anybody else. And then, of course, helping set strategy and direction and fundraising. Um, and then, of course, we was very active in the diligence process and in, and in, uh, in, in all essentially all those those uh, strategic conversations to kind of help 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 explain and, and converge on what would be possible, what would be the the revenue plan and the products plan and, and the scale out reach for the combined entity, right? So now you know one benefit. I I mean I I have done it in the past. So I'd kind of been on that journey earlier. Um, I also am part of a couple of strong entrepreneurial organizations, and then I I actually am a mentor. At Stanford in technology ventures, so you know I do spend a lot of time on a volunteer basis, working around and with the notion of building new companies. And the good thing with that is, you know, you, you go through this thought process and you end up dealing with the practical issues quite a bit. I also was fortunate; we'd had a great um, law firm working with us, and you know that had a lot of continuity in this space. Uh, Wilson Sonsini, uh, they helped me out in previous companies, and so I came into it a little bit more prepared then, you know, maybe the first time around. Um, but just the sheer workload and then the amount of travel and uh, running around was quite intense. So after looking back at this, you know, I guess the last seven years as you built the company, what were some of the things that you felt like 
you did well or that contributed to this this outcome? The the, the product came out pretty nicely, I have to say, and it's still I mean, and it, and it's still growing and getting better and improving. Um, and then you know we we did focus maniacally. Part of our cultural is you know you do whatever it takes to make a customer happy. Some of our first customers, we went out there. I went out help install uh, things. You know, crawling under desks and and uh, putting brackets into the walls and so on. And we found customers really appreciate that. They appreciate when you care about what you're doing to the extent that you'll do whatever it takes for them to be successful and to be happy. And that loyal customer base turned out to be just a big asset for us, right? Because then they are they were helping evangelize the product. Um, you know, early on we had an opportunity to also build a video collaboration service and uh, ended up pulling back. We wanted to be open plug and play rather than becoming a walled garden. Some other companies, uh, you know, traditionally were walled gardens, meaning they would sell you all the hardware and all the software and it was a great experience if you stayed within their universe. We believed in a more kind of open universe where you know, there are many smart people, many good products, and to, and to allow customers to choose and uh, pick and build the right solution for themselves. These S-curves, like the hard thing to predict is when that S-curve takes off, but when it does take off, it typically surpasses how high people think it will go. And that definitely did happen with collaboration and with uh, the whole notion of huddle rooms. So, so GN has been around for, I guess, over 150 years. What's it like joining a company with that kind of history? And what does that process look like for you as you've become integrated into a much, much larger business? Yeah, you, that's right. I mean, the scale is astronomical. So earlier in the year, I was invited to some of their celebrations um, in Denmark. And, uh, you know, the board, the the, the, the folks, from, from everybody from the team has been so inviting and welcoming to us. Um, the other thing uh, that, you know, Renee, uh, uh, the CEO at uh, GN Audio and I discussed early and, and they, they were very astute about is that they uh, saw that both cultures have unique strengths, right? That our team has a certain agility, a certain entrepreneurial rapid rate of doing things and certain level of, you know, playing and experimenting and trying new things and so on. And then the GN team has this incredible machine to build products um, and consciously tried to keep both aspects. And so we are actually becoming a global center of excellence for intelligent vision systems. We're expanding here in Cupertino. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the larger team has been quite welcoming uh, and, and actually wanting to preserve and keep that entrepreneurial uh, diversity and culture as part of the overall uh, company. And that's what's really good. I mean, that's a lot of what it, you know, what's been inspiring to our whole engineering team, right? Because we like what we do and we want to experiment and try because you just don't know when a certain technology becomes credible. So you kind of have to keep trying and keep being at that edge of uh, known versus unknown capabilities. Right. So what's next for Panacast as you're joining forces with Jabra? You know, now you've got scale that you didn't have before. What are some of the things you're excited about that are coming down the pipeline? Yeah, we're building new products. Um, and, you know, we've got a phenomenal, I mean, a 10x growth factor already in the product space and a phenomenal manufacturing, a world-class manufacturing capacity behind us, right? And we're finding that actually, which I mean, I didn't personally know enough about this, so it's been fun to learn about this. Uh, there's a lot happening in audio AI. You can you, you, 
you know, from, from, from voice, you can discern a lot of information. And so we're now looking at some very, very nice ways to combine audio information with video information uh, to make autonomous decisions, uh, to create these, you know, big data lakes of information that can help companies run better. And that's just in unified communications, right? You can imagine other kinds of visual and oral experiences and, uh, you know, just kind of in the, in the immediate adjacencies. And then beyond that, you know, um, video AI is becoming pretty important in Industry 4.0, you know, in autonomous vehicles, smart buildings, um, you know, things that go around in the real world because they care about, you know, things that move in the real world or things that are responsive to people in the real world value latency. You know, you can't take too long to make sense of something or the experience will be degraded or you'll end up making no choice and run out of time to make that choice. So we're very very much continuing to be focused on innovation in, in real-time AI as part of our video experience. And then, of course, you know, the whole horizon for cameras keeps expanding, right? And so it's, it's, it's a great experience to, to be here and to now have even more resources financially and in terms of people and depth and reach. Uh, to work with, so we're uh, we've been collaborating with a number of the world's top companies, and you know you'll hear more about it in the coming year. Uh, we're expanding. We're also growing as a team uh, here in in the valley. So it's been uh, yeah, it, it's kind of an expansion on <laughs> on multiple fronts. And how about you personally? You know, do you think you're going to get the startup itch again down the road, <laughs> um, or are you quite content where you are now? Well, you know, I, I signed on to make sure that we reach the business scale that we um, we know we're capable of. And um, everybody's been very supportive to enable that, um, and it's a, it's it's a shared mission, right? Everybody uh, wants to see that happen. It's a win all the way around. Now, I'm always active in a sense as an entrepreneurial advisor, as a mentor, um, as an investor, and so I'm I'm continuing to do some of that, uh, you know, along the way. So I keep you know a, a part of my brain and energy focused on the, on that. Uh, and I think that'll always be the case. And, you know, who knows down the road. But certainly that's where I am right now. I want to make this um, scale um, and, and expand from the beachhead we've created. Um, and, 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 of course, keep engaged with the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Right. And I guess as you think about those those founders that are listening to this podcast, you've already shared a lot of advice from your experience. Are, are there any other key points that you want to hit on that, you know, you've learned that you'd like to share with others? I think... Maybe the one, because um, we had earlier reach outs also, right? And I'm sure any founder knows, you know, when you're building a team and you're placing a bet, you know, you, there's so many human relationships and so many aspects in addition to, of course, the financials and, and the investors and so on. So um, one thing that jumped out for me, um, and you'll, t you'll know as, an, as, as a team, you typically can figure this out quickly, is is the chemistry good, right? Will this actually, you know, imagine you, you go ahead and you open a door, you walk through that door, you're now on the other side, are you and the team going to be in a good place? I, I think the, the more you can do to kind of assess that and maybe ask questions around that, maybe do what-if scenarios around that, maybe talk a bit about the vision going ahead. You know, there are different ways to, to kind of glean, to ferret out, to learn that information. I'd encourage you to do that. I think that'll help. Um, and then also, of course, as, as you take a cold, hard look at your own strengths and weaknesses, similarly apply that to the folks you're going to be combining with, because then that combined entity will be will generate the financial outcomes and the professional outcomes that you were are trying to seek. No, that's great advice. And I guess for any of our listeners that want to get in touch or just follow what you're saying, do you have any social accounts that you recommend following or is there a way to get in touch with you? You know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I mean, I have to say I'm actually really bad at social media, but I am on LinkedIn if you reach out to me. Um, and I, I'll just uh, ask your 
patience in advance because I'm running around a lot all the time. Uh, but I'm always happy to connect, always happy to learn um, and, and help uh, where I can. For sure. Well, Arangzeb, this is such a helpful conversation. Lots of great nuggets. Thanks so much for sharing your story and your experience with other founders. Thanks very much. It's a great conversation. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of How I Sold This. You can find more information about the podcast, as well as share your feedback and ideas with us at howisoldthis.co. 